All right, open up Mark chapter 9. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9. I'm so excited to share with you what God has given me this week. We're going to be in verses 42 through 58, short verses, but very deep verses, life-changing verses. We believe and know that this is God's Word. It is God-breathed. This is no normal book, that it is active and alive. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It actually cuts deep into us and changes us by the power of God. That as we read this book, the Holy Spirit supernaturally opens our eyes, our minds, and our hearts and changes us by the power of God. We believe that about this book. This is God's holy word. So let's pray before we read it. God, I pray that you would open our eyes, our hearts, our ears, that we would be changed because we have met with you, we have heard your word, it has taken root in our hearts, and it changes us. We submit to the authority of your word now, Father. We come under your authority. We say, have your way. And we know you will because you are a sovereign God. So we surrender to you right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, we don't hear the word millstone very often, do we? Have you ever seen one of those old movies where you have this donkey on the end of this stick and there's this huge round stone that's going around the circle and it's grinding the grain down? That is a millstone. It's this huge stone like this big. Jesus is saying if someone's to lead one of these little ones astray or a young Christian astray, it's better for them to have that huge millstone wrapped around the neck and thrown into the sea crazy, that strong, strong language we see Jesus using. And he goes on, he says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. I want to draw your attention to that first part there. It says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown in the sea. What we're really going to gather from this uh, part of Scripture, the first thing we'll gather from it is this, is that God takes sin seriously. God takes sin very seriously. Now, the picture that Josh painted for us last week, beautiful. I love, if you missed last week's sermon, please get online and watch it. Uh, Just a a great sermon on um, pride and dealing with pride. But here, Jesus uh, last week had a child sitting on his lap after embracing him, and he, he taught his disciples. Josh shared that this object lesson of a child had, child, children have nothing they can repay with. They can give nothing back. And Jesus picked up a child as as an object lesson for us to to teach and to train and to care for young disciples. These young believers are not children, but are like children in that they are spiritually young. We are to make disciples. 
That is the mission of Mission View Church. Two words, make disciples. It's our mission. It's our commission. We've been commissioned by Jesus to go, therefore, and make disciples. And, and it was this beautiful picture, and it was a really positive picture that, that Josh painted last week for positive training and caring for and receiving disciples or young believers. But now this week takes on the negative side if what we were to do to lead one of these young ones astray. The blessing of receiving young believers, discipling them, walking with them in their growth turns to judgment on those who would mislead or cause one of these young believers to sin. God takes sin very seriously. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Ouch, man. Those are some strong words. A warning against those who would speak foolishly or even take advantage of someone who is new in the faith. And it's also a warning to those who would teach or lead. This is one of those verses that when I was thinking about going into the pastorate, I really thought through. Really thought through. Lord, I don't want to even go into this unless this is really you leading me. The strong warning comes because of God's care and love for his children, but also because of his view of sin. Now remember, Jesus is actually talking to John here. And, and, and all, all the disciples are listening. So Jesus is actually still addressing John's question. He's really addressing the pride that he saw in the disciples. Pride is so devious because all sin finds its roots in pride. All sin finds its roots in pride. You can think of sin. sin is, the, the sin of pride is the gateway sin. The sin of pride is the gateway sin. Pride manifests itself in many different ways, but all sin finds its roots in pride. All heretical teaching finds its roots in pride. All misleading, abusing, and sinfulness find their roots in pride. And Jesus is still addressing the pride of the disciples who were arguing about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. God takes sin seriously because he knows the gravity of our situation. He knows the gravity of our situation. He sees the havoc that sin has wreaked on our world. He sees the wars, genocide, serial killers, mass shootings, blatant disregard for his commands. He sees all the immorality. He sees the sickness and he sees disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, all of it a result of sin entering our world. God takes sin seriously because he knows the depths and all-encompassing pain and suffering that sin has caused. God takes sin so seriously that he sent his only begotten son to die for it. God takes sin seriously because it cost him the life and blood of his only begotten son. Another reason God takes sin so seriously is because it has separated us from him. Sin separates us from him. He wants to be in relationship with us. But sin has caused a great divide. God loves us. And he is a redeeming and restoring God that will make all the wrong things right. And he will have his children back. God takes sin seriously because he loves us. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It is the great love of God that moved the heart of God to send his only son to make a way and bridge the divide. Jesus. I I can't imagine what that conversation looked like. Jesus, I want you to leave this Trinity connection, this Father, Son, Spirit. You're going to step down from heaven, leave paradise, and put on flesh. You see, you have to do what humanity can't do for itself. You have to do what my children can't do for themselves. You have to put on flesh, humble yourself, put on flesh, and live that perfect life for them. And then you're going to die the death that they deserve. God's wrath must be satisfied. The debt, the penalty for sin has to be met. And you're the only one who can do that. What? I have to leave heaven? This connection, this community that has existed forever and always will never end? In this moment, I will step into humanity and put on flesh, be truly God and truly man? Can you imagine the separation that... that that great calling that the Father gave to the Son. And Jesus did it for you and me. God takes sin seriously because it cost Him the life of His Son. God takes sin seriously also because He's won the war. Jesus did what we can't do. He lived the perfect life and then he died the sinner's death and he rose the third day, defeating sin and death. The war is over. It is won. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And he means it is completely, totally, and forever finished. The war is won. God takes sin seriously because the war is already won. You see, Jesus paid the greatest price so that we could receive the greatest reward. That's why God takes sin so seriously. Let's move on. Jesus goes on and he makes some even more shocking statements through verses 43 through 48. Check this out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Did you know that Jesus taught on hell more than anybody else in scripture did? Jesus taught on hell more than any other person in Scripture. And we see this in verses 43 through 48. And you may have heard this phrase before, but this is the biblical principle of radical amputation. And that's the next fill-in in your notes. This is the biblical principle of radical amputation. And this is in my studies where things took a turn for me. 
Because I've always viewed radical amputation on a way that we de- radical amputation as a way that we deal with sin. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Deal with it. But something caught my eye. When Jesus says this, I thought to myself, I've heard this before. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. I've heard this before. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is actually quoting one of his own sermons that he had preached months before. In that sermon, on the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is addressing is our inability to deal with sin. Not that we're supposed to deal with sin. He's dealing with our inability to deal with sin. And then that made me think about the principle of radical imputation. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Does that mean you're done? Because if my right hand causes me to sin, I'll tell you what, I bet you my left hand could cause me to sin too. And I bet you if my right foot caused me to sin and I cut it off, I bet my left foot could cause me to sin too. I bet you if my right eye caused me to sin and I tore it out, my left eye would then cause me to sin. Next thing you know, I have no hands, no feet, no eyes. But then my nose can cause me to sin, so I'll cut that off too. And my tongue can cause me to sin, and I'll cut that off too. My legs could probably cause me to sin. My knees could cause me to sin. Everything could cause me. You know why? Because those aren't the things that cause you to sin. The things that cause me to sin is my evil, wicked, deceitful heart. And if we take this plan that Jesus has given us to its end, I have to gouge out my heart, and I have to die. And that's what radical amputation is about. Jesus is saying, come die with me. That's radical amputation. He's not calling you to cut off your hand. He's calling you to death. Give your life to him. He's saying, come be in relationship with me. Give me everything. Give me your heart. And then you will have no desire to sin. Because what I'm going to do is change your desires. When you come to me and you love me and you worship me and you pray to me and you give your life to me, nothing in this world will mean anything to you. That's what relationship with Jesus is all about. You want to defeat sin? You want to get rid of it and cut it out of your life? Fall in love with Jesus. Is that it? This is the gospel. This is the glory of Jesus Christ. The power of God for you and me. He's saying, he's not saying cut off your hand. He's saying give me everything. Not 90%, not 70%, not 20%, 100%. Every little bit of it. And I know Oprah Winfrey hates to hear it, but God is a jealous God. And he will not stand for 99.9%. And he will kill you over the 0.01% you are holding on to. Because he loves you. And he knows in that 0.01%, that's what's really killing you. That's what's eating away at your soul and separating you from the life and life more abundantly that God has planned for you. Come, die for Jesus. Lay your life down each and every day. It's not radical amputation of the hand. It's radical amputation of everything. Everything.
That's the Christian life that Jesus is calling us into. To truly cut sin out of our lives, it has to begin in our hearts. And the direct connection to our hearts is humility before God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. We don't fight sin because we're super strong, super awesome Christians. We don't fight sin because we have all these plans and all these things set in place. We fight sin from the shadow of the cross. And as Christ's blood drips onto us, and we see him, we see him dead because of what I did. And we see the glorious grace and mercy that God our Father has for us. That's where we fight sin. And we find at the cross that sin's already defeated. We, we, don't, we don't fight sin on some stallion with a sword raised. We fight sin in the glorious grace of Jesus. He's done it all. And I, I tell you, I, I look at this and I see this. And we think, when we think and approach sin that way, like, oh, here we go. We're like free people where the war's already won. Your battle's already won. And we're wrapped in chains. Can you imagine? That's what that looks like. If we're not fighting sin from the foot of the cross and the shadow of the cross, we're walking around in chains bound. We are free men and women walking around in bondage. Because we haven't recognized and we haven't lived into the freedom that God has for you. Jesus died not so that you can cope with sin. Not so that you can walk through life and deal with sin. Jesus died to give you victory over sin. Victory over addiction. Victory over anger. Victory over anxiety. Victory over no matter what it is. Jesus died to set you free. And here's the deal. We're not fighting for victory. (laughs) We're fighting from victory. It's already been won. You can't lose. You can't lose. You cannot lose. Jesus has already defeated it. Now, it's interesting. As I was studying this, there's a direct connection that we miss in Scripture. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible wasn't written with chapter breaks and verses. Those were put in later so that we can kind of find our way around and, and, and deal with things like that. 
But it, sometimes that can be misleading and misguided because you think, oh, this is a different section, you know. And a lot of times this is a continual story and Jesus is teaching sermons that continually go on. But there's a direct connection here we can easily miss if we don't pay attention in Mark 9.31 to Mark 9.42 through 50. The power to overcome temptation and sin is found at the foot of the cross and we even see it right here. In Mark 9, 31 and 32, it says this, For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. That is the key. That is like, Jesus makes this statement, and Josh, I love how you did this last week. They were afraid to ask him what he meant. The power statement, the cross statement, the resurrection statement, the sin is defeated, death is defeated statement. They had so much pride in their lives, they're afraid to ask him. They're afraid to ask him what it means. Do you know what Mark 9, 31 and 32 means? What does it mean that Jesus died and rose again? It means our debt of sin has been paid. It means our guilt has been lifted. It means he took our place on the cross. It means the wrath of God that was meant for me was poured out on him instead. It means death has lost its sting. It means sin has lost its power. It means we're set free. It means we have a mission and a purpose now. It means we are adopted into the family of God. It means we have an inheritance in heaven awaiting for us. We can be assured of our salvation, have peace that surpasses understanding. The Holy Spirit of God living inside of us It means that we have an advocate in heaven who sits at the right hand of God, praying for us, interceding for us. It means everything. It means everything that Christ died and rose again for you and me. It means everything. And their pride kept them from asking what it meant. Don't separate radical imputation from Jesus' death and resurrection. And I think that's what has happened so much. I think that's our tendency where we tend to go. Because we've been taught and brainwashed with this. You do, 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 do. It's just a bunch of (laughs) do-do. When really all that God wants from us is come to me. We do a bunch of do-do and God says, I just want relationship with you. Don't let your pride get into the way of receiving, understanding, growing in what Christ's perfect life, death on the cross, resurrection, ascension into heaven, his intercession for us now actually means. What does it mean? Don't miss out on what the disciples' pride caused them to miss. Christ's sacrifice means everything. Let's move on to verse 49 and 50. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The last fill-in today is the key to killing pride is keeping the gospel front and center. Keeping the gospel front and center. Salt is a preservative and was used commonly in Bible times as such. Fire refers to refining. It was a refining thing, but it also refers to suffering. It says everyone will be preserved with fire. Either the refining fire of sanctification here and now as God changes us and grows us up 
in him by the power of his spirit, or the unquenchable fires of torment in hell forever. There is an eternity on the line. Everyone will live forever. Everyone. The question is, where will you spend eternity? The power of the gospel saves us. The power of the gospel sanctifies us or changes us and grows us up in him. And it is the power of the gospel that will lead to our glorification where Jesus comes again and takes us home or we go and die from this life and move on to the next life and are glorified with him into eternity. Now we all struggle with sin. The Bible's really clear on that. It's a level playing field. Me, you, Mother Teresa, the Pope, everybody. Everybody struggles with sin. And sometimes as we struggle, we can lose sight of the gospel. We can get focused on our sin and dealing with it and wrap our minds around it and try to fix it and do all these things. And we lose sight of the thing that saved us. The thing that is meant to set us free, sanctify us and change us and pull us out of that. We can forget the power that saved us. That's what happened in Galatia. We'll have to preach through Galatians, right? It goes right along with this. Paul says, who's bewitched you? You think that the power of what saved you is not the power that's going to sustain you and change you? Paul gets it really clear. But we can lose sight <coughs> Excuse me, of the gospel. We can forget the power that saved us. We get gospel amnesia. We forget the joy of our salvation, the freedom that we've been given. We fail, we make mistakes, and instead of going to the cross, we dive into our bag of tricks or that most recent self-help book and, you know, look our Enneagram and try and, you know, figure it all out. I'm going to do this or that, and I'm going to stop doing this or stop doing that. And a lot of the times we leave the gospel out, and that's the real power for change. Your Enneagram is only going to get you so far. Your willpower and self-discovery as helpful as they are, cannot save you. If you don't, first allow the cross to do its work of breaking down our sinful hearts and rebuilding it. Here's the question I have for us and for each of us. Have we lost sight of the gospel? Have we lost sight of the cross? I mean, in your journey, all of us are on a journey. All of us are dealing with, the, with temptations and different things in each of our lives. Maybe you're dealing with even the sins of other people who have harmed you. Maybe you're dealing with the consequences of sin, with some sickness or some other thing. In that brokenness, in that suffering, in that temptation, in that difficulty, have we lost sight of the gospel? Have we forgot the joy of our salvation? Do you remember what it was like when you first met Jesus? Your Savior that loves you. You remember that confession of failure and sin and that weight of guilt lifted in the freedom that you felt. The glories of God revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. All of your sins forgiven 
completely forgiven. And, and not forgiven like I would forgive you. Forgiven, like it says, the Bible says that God chooses to remember our sins no more. And we don't have any gauge for that because I don't know about you, but I don't have perfect control of my memory. Especially the memories where people have offended me. Those I hold on to. Now I can say I'm going to choose to remember that no more. But I don't have God-like control of my memory. But God does. And when God says I choose to remember it no more, guess what? Whoosh! Gone. Completely gone. It's as if you've never sinned. That's the forgiveness that God's given us. You are, you're not just like, you know, washed a little bit. You know, it's not like Dawn detergent washed. You know, where you can still see the grease stain, the butter stain. I think I have one on this shirt. And my wife does great laundry, don't get me wrong, but I'm really messy. And butter's hard to get out, right? It's not like that, right? It's like the shirt doesn't get faded. The stain doesn't, isn't kind of there. Completely righteous. Like big Bible word for pure. You are made holy. Righteous. Did you know that holy means set apart? You are set aside for a perfect, righteous, and holy God. So you, covered in the blood of Christ, are holy, righteous, and perfect, set aside for him. Do we forget that? I think we do. I just think we forget it. And we go, and we go to Myers-Briggs, or we go to that first self-help book, or we go to these other things. When the key in our hope and the joy of life is found in Jesus. Mission View Church, let's be a people in love with Jesus. Amen? That we just pour out our lives. I'm telling you, man, if, if he is the center of everything, if he is all that we are about, if we're pouring our lives out for him, I'm telling you, your struggles with sin will dissipate. You cannot, you cannot be tempted when you are on your knees, weeping at the foot of the cross with our Savior. Man, the world just fades away. And it really, what happens is it reveals what the world really is and what it's really offering, death. Not joy. It is a short-sighted, fake, false lie. But we only see it when we look through the lens of the gospel. Amen? Let's go to Jesus in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, you can preach. And here in your word, Father, is such a deep and impactful word. God, I pray that you would bring this truth to life in our hearts. God, that you would change us. We need you more and more every day. We can never get enough of you. Never. For all eternity, we will be growing in our understanding, growing in our relationship, knowing you more and more, Father, as we serve you throughout all eternity. The joy of relationship with our Creator will be something we cannot comprehend right now. But in this time, God, you've given us your word and revealed it to us, and it changes us even now. So open our eyes. God, give us a glimpse of eternity in our relationship with you now. We surrender it to you. God, help us die. 
die to this world so that we can live in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Now we're going to have prayer at the end of the service. And what that looks like is probably about halfway through this closing song, there's going to be some prayer team members that come and stand at the uh, edges of the stage here. After you see them come forward, if you'd like to receive prayer or pray with someone, maybe you're going through something really difficult. Maybe as we read the word, you want, you know, you just want to press into the gospel and, and more of God in your life. We want to pray with you for that. Don't leave today without praying with someone. Come down from the balcony. As you see the prayer team, people come forward. Come forward and receive prayer today. And we'll continue to pray after the service ends as well. But let's stand as we sing our closing song now.